Good day, and welcome to the Responsible Capitalist Podcast, where we help you learn to align your money with meaning. My name is Carol Sanford, and I am your host. Today, we're going to be talking with another impact investor who has been making major inroads into the field. I would like to introduce you to a way to assess whether or not the impact that is being made by an investment is really going to make a difference if you're an impact investor. I just published a recent book, some of you know, called The Responsible Entrepreneur, and it looks at four levels at which a company could be taking on change. I call it game-changing, so that literally it obliterates the past options. And there are four arenas, which if you are not working on one of these, it's likely that the investment you're making is going to be playing out in a very small return, not necessarily financially, but socially, because impact investors are investing in a way they can make a difference in society and ecosystems. The first thing that they can be asking when they're looking at an investment is, how well does an entrepreneur understand the industry that they're in? And a quick way to get at that question is to ask them more about the customer's lives, not the product, and what the product does, but how will it change the lives of consumers? So an example, Indigenous Designs, ask Eileen Fisher, which is one of the major retailers in the uh, fashion industry, what it was that she, what, what it is she is pursuing that she really needed help with. And she said, I hate that we have so much fabric, so many clothes that are, after they're worn, go into landfills. I want help of the ability to recycle and to really create high quality fabric that would also have a really clean supply system behind it. So Indigenous Designs, instead of working on just making textiles for them, started working on helping them figure out how to recycle clothing and particularly to make sure that the quality of lives that were making the fabric also were great. So they ended up creating co-ops in uh, South America and therefore can bring to Eileen Fisher a transformation and role that they can play in the game of the fabric industry. The second question that it's really important for an impact investor to be asking is if you're trying to change a problem or an issue, what is the system that is causing that? Because very often what we see are investors, or excuse me, entrepreneurs, who what they're doing is creating a substitute product, like a stove, which could be used in Africa, where they are not having to uh, find firewood or take down trees. But the question really is, how is it that they could be shifting a whole system so that that problem didn't exist? This actually requires work on consciousness and conscience, people connecting with and feeling what they're doing. Kip Baratov at Fish People has created a QR code. When you buy a product, you can actually see where that fish was caught, what waters it was caught in. You can see who it was that packed it, shipped it, and moved it. You can understand the entire system and the choices that you're making simply by using that QR code to inform you. So he's not working on just the problem of helping fishermen, he's working on the system that needs to be moved. It's a great question for an impact investor. The third question which the impact investor can ask is, are we really connecting people with the uh, cultural beliefs that they hold that limit our ability to create change? Because often much doesn't change because certain people are excluded and assumed not to be a part of the whole. Annalie Killian is an example of having worked this way and became an entrepreneur internal to an organization, which meant that when 
she was seeking to grow something. The company was trying to raise funds. But Annalee helped shift the work in South Africa so that a, a, um, a, a site that had been used to build construction for the aluminum plant that she worked for was converted into an entrepreneurial village where funds had to be raised. But it took shifting the white Africans' understanding of their relationship and the reciprocity with the black Africans in order to have it work and to understand that if black Africans didn't succeed, white Africans wouldn't either. So this nature of work, if you're going to be an impact investor, is what are the paradigms that are going to be broken, the cultural barriers, and do you understand those? Because game-changing entrepreneurs move at that level. And the final and fourth question that you can ask that really looks at the level of impact which your investment can have is at the level of governance. And how is it that governing and governing agreements needed to be shifted? Um, do we really make it possible, in spite of our difficulties of governing in whatever country, to make people be or help people be successful? Great story, Shanur Koja in uh, Afghanistan created a company that she understood that in order to really give people back their own sense of personal agency, even this terrible time of war and where people felt out of control of their lives, she created a company to not just hire people, which there are many who are hired, and in fact, 25% of the women who have a job in Afghanistan work there, but also to make it a franchise so people individually at a local level could feel power over what they were doing and be able to help their own local communities. The investments that were made in Shanur, in the village that Annalie Killian built, in Kip's work, and in indigenous designs work with Eileen Fisher are all impact investments which are answering the question, how much difference will my money make? So if what you're wanting to do is make a difference, ask how much do they know about the industry? What's the social system they've got to impact? What's the nature of the culture that they're working in and where they're going to have to move something so they could, do they even know what that is? And finally, how are they going to be engaging with government? Today, we're going to hear from Charlie Kleisner, who is a fairly significant long-term investor. In fact, he got connected way back with Steve Jobs when he was in Next, and he went with him over to Apple. He and his wife, Lisa Kleisner, have created a foundation called KL Felicitas Foundation through which they make investments for raising funds for a, uh, an investment return as well as the ability to do their philanthropic work. Welcome, Charlie. Please introduce yourself a bit to folks who are listening and tell them a bit about how you describe the work you do in the world. Hi, Carol. I'm really pleased to be with you today and I look forward to our conversation. Um, I'm Charlie Kleisner, and you might detect a little accent in my voice. I'm Austrian and I immigrated to Silicon Valley in 1986. I have a PhD in computer science and had a really, really great uh, career in Silicon Valley as usually the CTO, the chief technology officer or the senior technology guy on the team in three successful startups. The first startup was a company called Next. Next was the company that Steve Jobs created after he was fired from Apple, and I was in charge of the operating system. The operating in time was called OpenStep, and when Steve uh, sold Next to Apple, he made this the main uh, operating system of Apple. It's called System 10 now. And then the second startup that I participated in was a company called Datamine. Datamine was obviously in the data mining 
uh, business, and we sold that company for about 400 million to Epiphany in the late 90s as well. The third uh, company that I participated in uh, as the CTO and Senior VP of, um, of uh, Engineering was a company called Ariba. Uh, and Ariba was a business-to-business e-commerce company that was uh, recently bought out by SAP just about uh, nine months ago for four and a half billion dollars. And we brought this company uh, to the market with an IPO in 1999 very, very successfully. And that created a lot of wealth not only for our shareholders, but also for us. And when I say us, I mean Lisa, my wife Lisa and I. And so in the late, I mean, in the early 2000s, um, we suddenly had to ask ourselves the question, what is the meaning of wealth and what do we do with that? And we were very, very clear. um, It was very clear to us that the only real meaning of wealth and capital is to make a positive contribution to humanity and the planet. And that was the beginning of what's now called impact investing, since we challenged our advisors and the status quo about aligning the wealth that we had created in the markets in Silicon Valley to align that with our values of reaching sustainability for us and the planet. And so now we're considered impact investors, and that's what we do. But could you highlight two or three things that when you say impact investing, you know this is what you mean and how it moved from how you would have thought about investing before that? Great, yes. So impact investing is actually an investment approach, meaning it's an investment strategy across asset classes. It's not a separate asset class. What that means is that you can do impact investments in cash, in long only, in public equity, in private equity, in long short, uh, and in real assets. And in the year 2003-2004, we actually articulated an impact investing strategy um, to go all in, to invest all of our investable assets uh, towards positive social and or environmental impact. And that brings up the definition of how we use it and how the industry is using it really. And that's impact investments not only need to um, provide a financial return, but they also need to provide an explicit uh, ecological and or social return. And you have to measure that. The core principle behind impact investing is the intentionality behind it. So impact investors intentionally make these investments. They don't consider uh, these investments an intellectual exercise of of making more money or of achieving impact. They see the impact investments as an extension of who they really are. So we, for instance, Lisa and I, we want to make a positive contribution to the sustainability of the planet. Therefore, we have to align our investments with sustainability. We cannot say that that's outside of what we care about. Can you describe (laughs) what you hold in your mind to measure whether the social and ecological uh, return, right, is is Mm -hmm. going to really happen and come at the level that you want it to? And then how do you check in progress as it moves along? Well, first of all, congratulations on on your book. Uh, Great that it's going to come out. I look forward to reading it uh, and and great work. So thank you for that contribution. Um, So with respect to due diligence on the impact side, it is a very, very important principle. 
Um, so we talked about the intentionality of making impact and the second principle of impact investing, particularly for the 100 percenters, is paying attention to the impact. So from intention to attention. And intention and attention are like, like strategy and vision. You know, a vision without a strategy is as bad as a strategy without a vision. And you can have great intentions, but if you don't put attention to actually accomplishing the impact, you will fail. You will predictably fail. And so the impact has to be centered and is centered to all the investment activities that we do, from the due diligence all the way to, to, to developing and negotiating term sheets. Ideally, we want to bake into our term sheets the impact metrics that we use to measure the impact. And then, of course, in, um, in executing the transaction, monitoring the, tr monitoring the impact and potentially exiting uh, the investment. Even so, impact investors don't like to talk that much about exiting impact uh, because impact should be a long-term uh, proposal as, as opposed to a short-term maximization of short-term impact. To give you a sense and a concrete example of what we look at in the context of, let's say, an investment in a wind farm. Like, so wind farms usually are very good in the ecological return because they are renewable energy Right? And so you can argue that they replace uh, uh, part of the old, dirty economy. And so from that perspective, they usually come in fairly high on the um, environmental return. Now, sometimes when wind farms, however, go and build their wind parks, they have to replace uh, people, people who live on the land that they actually put their wind farms on. And we recently did a due diligence on an international wind farm provider and we found out that they did not compensate the indigenous population in this instance in middle America uh, appropriately and therefore the social impact was very very negative for us and therefore we could not invest in that particular wind farm because even so the environmental benefit was quite good the social benefit was awful and so you can see how us impact investors if we find out that that, that this is happening we need to actually have both. And impact investors, you know, people sometimes say, well, what about the negative impacts? And we, we know that almost all, well, I would say every investment has a negative impact as well. What impact investors try to do is maximize the positive impact and minimize the negative impact. And therefore, having transparency on both sides is so crucial for us. And that's why the 100% Impact Network and the Tonic Network we use to compare notes on that. And make no mistake, if I would find a more impactful environment in an, in an, in an asset, a more impactful investment in, in any asset class than the investments that I have, and I have liquidity, I would swap them out. Just like a conventional investor would swap out the better performing financial investment for, you know, a, a, for a worse performing financial investment. So we think the same, except that we replace financial with impact. So there's um, a, one other player, a set of players in this space that I wonder how you relate to them, and that are the regulators. So there's the Security Exchange Commission, which is looking right now at whether or not they should raise what an accredited investor means. Uh, and that's, of course, creating chaos and confusion and even fear among many startups, which uh, have depended on different models of people investing in them. How do you think about what the SEC's role is, how you engage with it, and particularly this question of what 
the role of accredited investing is in moving more people into being able to think about how they spend their money, even if they're not fully an accredited investor? That's a very good question, and I love that one because it, it allows me to um, discuss a little bit the challenges of different segments of investors, all the way from institutional capital to the retail investor. So let's start with the retail investor because retail investors will soon have the opportunity to participate in the impact economy through crowdfunding and crowd investing platforms. So the Jobs Act of 2014 that the Obama administration you know, en enacted um, provided the legal framework for enabling crowd investing to move beyond the accredited investor. And so I think the last update actually enabled um, accredited investors to participate in crowdfunding platforms and crowdfunding platforms, crowd investing platforms in the US like Crowdfunder and Indiegogo are already allowing accredited investors to participate in, in, the, in the fundraising, in the investment, investment of these deals. I think in Q4 or at the latest early 2015, uh, the last piece of the Jobs Act should be implemented which would enable non-accredited investors to participate in crowd investing activities. We believe that the um, collaboration between, let's say, a tonic network and the crowd would be one opportunity for uh, making sure that the crowd actually participates in the uh, wisdom and the due diligence information gathering and sharing of more experienced investors like the tonic members are. And indeed, we've done, we meaning tonic in this instance and tonic members in this instance, uh, have, have already uh, experimented and invested together on crowd investing platforms. I think it's a major um, movement all, all the way also in, in Europe as well that enables ultimately um, more people to participate in supporting these, um, these impact entrepreneurs and impact uh, enterprises. The opposite, uh, the SEC or as I think the regular, the opposite spec of investors, the uh, institutional capital has a very different challenge. There, you know, the institutional capital a lot of times has a very, a very narrow interpretation of fiduciary responsibility, particularly in the U.S. So the, the legal folks uh, and the trustees uh, right now consider their duties to look short-term as opposed to and long-term, right? I think the pension funds in Europe are starting to actually change that, but it would be really helpful for the SEC and the and the uh, and the regular regulators to actually make sure that the um, definition of what fiduciary responsibility really means includes the long-term responsibility of not messing up the planet. Uh, I, I talk to pensioners, you know, here and there about the the responsibility of uh, pension funds, and if you ask. The question to pensioner, uh, to pensioner, do you actually want to mess up knowingly the planet for your grandkids by uh, drawing your pension? Of course, they would say no. However, if I then tell them to go to their pension fund manager and tell them not to invest in this and this and this, that knowingly you know messes up the planet, you know the pension fund managers shoot back and say, well, you don't understand really risk. Do you want your pension or do you want to do good? And that usually um, you know, silences the, the pensioners. What they should say in response to that, I want it both. I want to have a, a decent, uh, I want to have my pension and I don't, and I don't want to mess up the planet. And uh, you know, the system right now portrays as if this is an either or 
choice, and it is not. We have shown with our portfolio, um, with, a, with a report that just came out you know, about five months ago with Sonen Capital, that you can actually have a portfolio uh, that's fully invested in impact and have competitive financial return in each one of the asset classes. And that's what we do with the 100 percenters is we will document you know, half a billion dollar portfolios. Ours, ours represents, our, our foundation represents about $10 million. You know, we invest about $50 million according to the same to the same guidelines. The absorption capacity of all the investments that we have done is $38 billion. So the argument that there's not enough you know, product out there to invest is wrong as well. And we claim that our, that our portfolio approach scales from 5 million to, to half a billion, which it does. And that's what the 100 percenters are doing. And once that we prove that you can actually um, invest uh, a, a half a billion dollar portfolio uh, with financial return and impact, then there's no reason why the single, single digit billion dollar endowments and, and, and pension funds uh, could not be um, forced into making sure that they actually not knowingly mess up the planet anymore. I think the first movers on the, on the regulatory framework should be foundations. foundations actually get the tax benefit from society for accomplishing the mission that they care about. Now, is, is, wouldn't it be, it's paradoxical to me that some, some foundations actually claim to society uh, that they care about the environment, yet they're uh, contributing in their investment strategies to climate change, right? And so there is a, the best invest campaign going on, which the 100 percenters support, to make sure at least that, uh, that, that foundations that get get the tax benefit for society for actually doing something for the environment without knowingly, you know, counter that in their investment strategies. And I think that th those are first mover opportunities for the regulators to actually um, uh, move into it. To me, it should go, of course, a lot uh, further. I, I don't see any reason why in 10, 15 years, you know, a CEO of a publicly held company should not uh, have to would not have to be sued if his company actually knowingly messes up the payment. It's interesting. I hear you definitely redefining fiduciary responsibility in this to be much more inclusive. I hear you redefining something else, which is what I mean. I call financial literacy because the literacy is limited by the way foundations and regulars and so forth are thinking. Are you conscious of trying to bring about this? And literacy happens at the institutional level. It's kind of limited all the way down to the retail and the pensioners. I, it feels to me like that's where one of the big gaps we have is this ability to understand how finances work and what they produce. Yes, you, you know, Carrie, that's a very, very important observation. And right now, you know, the impact investors need to be conversant in both languages, in the old language of modern portfolio theory, which is clearly wrong, but we need to cast our arguments in the old terminology in order to be heard and in order to make our arguments while we, of course, prepare the new system. What I mean by this is um, modern portfolio theory is clearly wrong on a number of levels. So first of all, it claims that we're rational investors who are only out to uh, maximize our financial return. Me and my wife and uh, all the 100 percenters and all the tonic members clearly don't fall into this category. And I think if everybody uh, had a choice, a, 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 an open choice, they would not really fall into this. So clearly wrong. The secondarily modern portfolio theory uh, pretends as if there's anything close to perfect markets. There are no perfect markets. Thirdly, and that really is one of the biggest failures, is that anything that they, that they cannot explain, 
they uh, consider outside the system as externalities and uh, externalities conveniently um, you know, not, not having to internalize that into the system. We do not accept that as a, as a working theory. We demand that these externalities are actually uh, internalized into the macroeconomic system and the way that the financial system system works. So a lot of, you know, many, there's exceptions to that, of course, but many macroeconomists and, and, and financial analysts, they pretend as if this system is a godsend system, as if, you know, it, it was always there and will always be there. To me, it's just really amazing uh, at best, you know, that seemingly very, very intelligent people who study these things pretend that a system that was invented 150 years ago for a planet with seemingly unlimited resources where maybe 1.1 billion people lived on the planet would not have to be majorly restructured in, in, in the new world where we have, uh, you know, 8 to 9 billion people and clearly limited resources. Yet the majority of the people who um, are in the driver's seat pretend as if nothing weird is happening. And so we need to define modern portfolio theory to put impact, positive impact, first and foremost into, um, into everything, everything that we do on, on the investment side. And that will require a fundamental reimagining of the relationship between risk, return and impact. You see, the, 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 the conventional uh, system pretends that it is okay to invest in mines that leave an awful amount of, uh, of chemicals in, in, you know, on, on the planet, on the surface and inside the planet, and that don't, don't treat the workers well. We don't, so, so they say that, well, that's risk-adjusted return. We say it is not. You have to pay for cleanup. You have to pay uh, for treating your workers at least decent. And then they say, well, then you don't get uh, risk-adjusted risk returns. You see, we don't accept the notion that its risk-adjusted return is correct if you knowingly mess up the planet and you don't treat your workers right. And so this, we need to reframe the discussion that uh, nobody can get away with that. Then we say, well, with 100%ers, what if we were to create a new fund for us on the real asset side you know, that we, that we uh, capitalize with two, three hundred million and start investing in uh, green mines, start investing in mines where, where uh, everybody's treated correctly and the cleanup is done correctly. And uh, well, maybe in the first iteration of this fund, you know, we would have to take in the conventional wisdom a haircut on the financial return. We don't see it that way because it's risk adjusted rate of return in the context of cleaning up your mess, right? And uh, we, we believe that in, in the next iteration then, uh, we, we give the hopefully the politicians enough firepower to stand up against the big corporations and say no, we have to clean up your mess. We're not going to to foot the pill the, the bill anymore with taxpayers' money and and have to get away with that. So that gives you a sense of how impact investors really uh, you know don't take the conventional wisdom as conventional wisdom and almost like as a religion of the macroeconomists who get it wrong the majority. You're a most intriguing person, and I think there are going to be people who want to track you further, maybe even try and reach out in some way. What is the best way for people to find out more about uh, either of these organizations, the work they're doing, the way you think, and to pose something to you as a question, um, if you would be so kind as to tell us how to do that? Absolutely. So um, I don't, so my name is Charlie Kleisner, and that's spelled C-H-A-R-L-Y. And my last name is K-L-E-I-S, like Sam, N-E-R. And my email is charlie at kleisner.com. 
and you can uh, you should uh, feel free to use my email and send me email. And then you can also um, log on to Tonic, which is talked about this T O N I I C dot com. There is not yet a website for the hundred percenters. And what about the foundation uh, that you and Lisa oh, set up? Yes. So the foundation, um, you know, you can, you can, we are very, very transparent uh, with respect to, like I said, all of our investments and the financial returns and the impact uh, report that's going to come out soon. Our foundation is KL Felicitas Foundation. Let me spell that for you. That's um, K L F E L I C I T A S. KL Felicitas, one word, foundation.org. If you if you Google uh, Charlie Kleister, you would probably find the foundation as well. If it's if it's too hard to find. Charlie, that was fabulous. Thank you so much, and I'm looking forward to talking to Lisa within a couple of weeks and doing a podcast with her. For all of you who have more interested in knowing about impact investing, knowing about the responsible capitalist. We have a large number of podcasts that you can subscribe to. You can come to carolsanford.com and find others that we have up immediately. There's also access through iTunes, if you would prefer to go there. And in addition to that, we have a few of these clips on Vimeo, which are even a few more of Charlie's interview. And if you're interested, I hope you'll check out The Responsible Entrepreneur, Four Game-Changing Archetypes for Founders, Leaders, and Impact Investors. And we'll see you next time.